Today we continue our series on uh, living our faith, living our faith. Our series is actually titled Faith, Just Live It. And I want to continue talking about some things that James gives us in James chapter 1. We'll read our text in just a moment. But crucial to living by faith and living in faith is that we walk in the Word of God. While the numbers continue to decline, according to a Gallup survey of this past year, most Americans still at least say they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Most Americans say they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, that number has declined, as you can probably well imagine, but most Americans still say, yeah, if you ask them, do you believe the Bible is God's Word? They will say yes. But the disconnect seems to come at the behavior or the application level, because that's where most Americans do not live according to the Word of God. And uh, sadly, I guess you might say many Christians who confess to believe the Word of God do not uh, match their behavior with the Word of God. And it certainly makes sense that the culture would say it but not demonstrate it when you look at the dysfunction in our society. Wouldn't you agree with that? If most Americans believe the Scripture, there'd be a lot of things that wouldn't be going on in our, our culture. For example, there'd be no confusion about gender. If most Americans who confess to believe the Bible really behaved accordingly, there'd be no debate about abortion. You say, well, some would still differ. Yeah, but the, the tide would be so strong. There would be a debate about these things. There, there'd be no discussion about how we got here. There'd be no racial conflict. There'd be no uh, uh, n- little to no, I should probably amend this one and say little to no corruption in government. But believing that the Bible is God's Word is more than a confession It is evidenced by how we apply and how we align our lives and how our behavior is adjusted according to the Scripture. And that's what James is talking about in the passage I want us to read this morning. Would you stand with me if you're physically able to do so as we honor God's Word and begin reading in verse 22 of James chapter 1, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Remember that, we'll come back to that. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Father, would you now speak to us, uh, Father, from your word... Let us hear your word, and then let us do your word, Father. And now I pray that you would take all my study. I give it to you, my mind. I give it to you, my mouth, my words. I give all of this to you. I pray that you'll take that now with your Holy Spirit, Father. Use it with your word. Sink it into our hearts and cause us to walk out changed by the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. James's words here are called action. When he says to be doers of the word, it literally means, listen to this, keep on doing the word. Keep on becoming doers of the word. It is in the present tense in the Greek, and it's not something that has happened. Okay, I am a doer of the word, and that's just a statement. It is keep on becoming doers of the word. It's a lifestyle. It is something that is a part of your spiritual Uh, DNA. In other words, it's about consistent obedience to the Word, not simple affirmation of the Word. Verse 21, we didn't read that, but look there with me if you will. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word, the implanted Word which is able to save your soul. Verse 21 talks about this implanted Word, meaning that we're to respond to the Word of God that has taken root in our life. And by the way, it's attached to dealing with all filthiness and wickedness. How? By receiving meekly, that is humbly receiving the Word of God uh, into our life, doing more than just acknowledging it, but allowing it to do its work within us. That We are to respond to what has taken root in our life. Any other response is superficial. Maybe you remember the parable of the soils. You remember the parable of the four soils. The seed is the word of God. The sower 
uh, sows the seed and the seed falls onto the, the four different kinds of soil. And, and if you remember correctly, all four of the soils do something. They all receive initially the word. All four of them do. But then things, uh, the cares of life choke out one, the trials and difficulties choke out another. You, you know, and he starts telling us, but only one of the soils allowed the seed to go down. The other three were all superficially received. And so when a time of testing came, they gave it up. When something challenged them, they gave it up. And that's what his point is. There was only one soil that received. And it was the soil that let the seed go below the surface. You know, there are a lot of people today that confess that they believe the Bible, but it never gets beyond the surface of their life. And that's why you will see people and have seen people uh, that come and go uh, it, around the things of God. Why? Because the Word hasn't really been implanted in them. It has just laid on the surface, and so it's easy to come and go with the things of God. Well, verse 21 says, receive the implanted Word. It is the implanted Word that makes a, a difference. It is the implanted Word that when we act upon it, we're doing more than just affirming God's Word. We're saying we expect the Word of God to change us, to make a difference. We hear it, and we're changed by it. We hear it, and we do it. A few years back, there was a medical study that was conducted, and it revealed just how difficult change is for people. Do you, you have problem changing? Do you have problem changing? We probably all do, don't we? We think, we tend to think that we adapt pretty well. It's other people that don't change. And if they would just change to match what I've already adjusted to, then all would be well. But most of us don't change well, you know. And there was a study conducted, a medical study about this whole matter. And listen to this, roughly 600,000 people have heart bypass surgeries each year in America. And these people are told something. They are told that after their bypass, that they've got to change their lifestyle. That's not enough just to have the bypass. They're, they're told that the, the bypass is actually a temporary fix if they don't change some other things. They're told to change their diet. They're told to stop smoking or stop drinking or both. Or They're told they need to exercise. Uh, they're told to reduce stress. In essence, the doctors say, you've got to change or die. Now, you would think that a near-death experience would forever grab the attention of patients, wouldn't you? You would think that they would vote for change. You would think that the argument for change would be so compelling that patients would, would make the appropriate lifestyle altercations. But the study revealed that, sadly, that's just not the case. The study concluded that that most people remain the same. They live in the status quo just like they were living before the, the bypass surgery. And, and the study indicates that two years after their heart bypass surgery, the vast majority of those people that had it are, have not altered anything about their behavior. Well, James tells us in our passage this morning that hearing necessitates doing something. Hearing necessitates changing, so you receive a message, but if you don't do anything with it, the message is really useless to you. But if you hear the message and you do the message, there are things that change for you and really your environment and people around you are affected, all of those things. And so uh, James makes clear that, that hearing is more than just letting information come in. You know, the Bible wasn't given to you to increase your knowledge. I hope it does about spiritual things, and, and that's good. But it wasn't given to you to increase your knowledge. The Bible was given to you to alter your life, to change your life, to align your life with the things of God and the will of God. And so in our passage, James makes three things clear that I want you to see this morning. First of all, I want you to notice he speaks of a deceptive contrast. Verse 22, where he says be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then underline this, if you take notes in your Bible, underline the phrase deceiving yourselves. And he really cuts to the chase right here with a contrast between simply hearing and then hearing and doing. And what's, he, what's going on here is that James, and one of the reasons we like this book is it's so practical, but James is dealing with Christians that, uh, 
that didn't mind hearing the Scripture, they just had a problem doing it. They didn't mind uh, hearing the Scriptures shared with them, and they had the writings of the prophets, they had these letters that had come to them uh, from uh, the writers of Scripture. They didn't mind hearing the things, but sometimes the disconnect or the dysfunction or the breakdown came at the point where, oh, you mean now that I've heard that, I'm responsible to do that? Kind of like the problem that Christians have battled and struggled with uh, throughout our existence. So he says to them, he, he says to them, if you only hear but you do not practice what God says, listen, it's pretty strong language. He said, you're deceiving yourself. Now, let me clarify something. The, the purpose of reading and hearing the scriptures of the Bible, just like it's not to increase your knowledge, though it may, it's also not, it, it, it isn't so you can form an opinion about the Bible. Uh, it isn't so you can decide whether you're going to agree or disagree with it. Yeah, I read the Bible, so, and I've had people basically tell me that. Well, I, 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 I've got my own opinions. Have you ever heard, had somebody, when you shared the scripture with them, say, well, I have my own opinions about that. I've had some encounters, some interesting encounters with folks on that, on that level. But the, the, the purpose of reading and hearing the Bible isn't so you can form an opinion. We have opinions about everything today, don't we? I mean, think about all the, the news channels and all the information, and now most of that is opinionated stuff, isn't it? Here's an opinion, here's an opinion, here's an opinion. What do you think? Do you decide whether you agree or disagree with it? God gave us the Bible to show us how to align our lives with Him, not to decide whether or not we agree. He, he gave the Scripture to, to be uh, an owner's manual so that we can navigate life and we can walk in His will. So when when a person says something like that to you, you know, well, I'm trying to decide whether I agree or disagree with that, you know. Or when a person says something like, well, I know what the Bible says, I just believe. Or I choose to believe something else. That's one of the most interesting statements that a person can make that I think has grave consequences. When they say, well, yeah, I know what the Bible says, and uh, by, by, by the way, I've heard Christians say that. I know what the Bible says, but, I know what the Bible says, but I just choose to believe. As if that excuses or justifies not aligning their life or lifestyle with God's Word, and, and consequently implying that they are, they're no longer accountable for what God has said because They've already made their declaration, or they have, uh, they've given a disclaimer. So I'm not responsible now, because I want to just say up front that, that I just choose to believe something else. And so I get a pass because I've made this great disclaimer on the front side, as if that excuses it. That's what James calls, now listen, self-deception. That's self-deception. It's self-deception because to think that if we choose to reject the Word of God for another idea or some cultural opinion, that it somehow exempts us before God and nullifies our responsibility to obey His Word. That's self-deception. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God, and we, uh, we, those who use this may think one day I'll just say, but God, remember, I said right up front... I chose to believe something else. I chose not to accept that. I chose not to alter my life accordingly. Now, you remember, Lord, that I made that, that disclaimer on the front end. You think that's going to carry any weight with God? You think God's going to go, oh, well, let me check with the angelic council. Did y'all know he made this, this disclaimer? Did y'all... I didn't get that. Did y'all get, does he get the pass? It's, it doesn't work that way. And you know, it's bad when you are deceived by another person. Have you ever been deceived by another person? It's bad, isn't it? It's, hurt, it's hurtful, especially if it's somebody that you trust. And, and by the way, somebody may think you've deceived them yourself. So always remember that. But you know what I think is worse? I think the worst kind of deception is self-deception. I think the worst kind of deception is self-deception. And, and here's why. 
Because self-deception is usually based in what a person wants to believe or wants to be true. I convince myself something is true because I want it to be true, and so I convince myself. And, and then a person that is self-deceived will often act as if something, if you say something is true long enough and loud enough, that makes it true. By the way, that's where your culture is. We've just taken lies and we've screamed them so loud and so emotionally that don't confuse us with logic. Don't confuse us with what God says. We've got a new take on what God says. Or I, I, this is the way I feel, so I get a pass. And, uh, and so you're living in an age that has screamed, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's the age you're living in. And it is screamed, this is good because we have said it so long and so loud and so emotionally that this is right. And so a culture begins because they, if, they, if they confess believing the Bible, but they don't allow the Bible to actually change their life, a culture begins to say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I also believe this because I feel this way and because I've heard this and because they've taught me this in school and on the news and everywhere I turn, they've taught me this. Therefore, this has to be true because so many people couldn't be wrong. Could they? You get it? It's self-deception. But listen to me. Self-deception is never based upon truth. If it were based on truth, it wouldn't be deception. Self-deception is when you believe a lie so strongly that you allow that lie to become reality. We see this today when it comes to the Word of God like no other time in history. It's common today when a person hears a scripture and does not like the message. It's common for them to do one of several things. First, they may dismiss the message by saying something like, this is a popular phrase today. Well, that's your truth, but it's not my truth. Doesn't that sound noble? And by the way, everybody can't have their own truth. Because at some point in time, and this is where those who scream for tolerance are the most intolerant, when your truth doesn't, isn't compatible with their truth, suddenly your truth is no longer truth. People say, well, isn't that true about the Bible? Yeah. The Bible is truth. And it's going to intersect a lot of paths, and it does. And that's why, by the way, it can't be tolerated and that's why, by the way, it won't be tolerated down the road unless something changes. And so we hear people say, well, that's your truth, but it's not mine. I've had it said to me. Uh, that's like saying, well, I determine what is true, not God. I determine what is true, not God. And by the way, it's a dangerous kind of arrogance and, and defiance. Because what it really says is, I'm smarter than God. I know more than God. Or second, what they may do is they simply ignore parts of the Scripture that disagree with what they've already decided to believe. Did you get that? They disagree. They say, well, I believe the Bible, but now when it talks about this over here, I just I don't agree with that. So, so they just disagree and dismiss parts of the Bible or the Scripture that that go counter to what they've already decided to believe. In other words, here, here's kind of what they do. They take their Bible and they read it through the lens of what they've already decided. And you can do that in a lot of things, by the way, where you put your lens on top of Scripture and you read it that way and say it has to match up, it has to fit in my lens. But let me tell you what the Bible's given. The Bible's given for you to read and your life, it filters your life. Your life doesn't filter the word. Does that make sense? And it's like, <clears throat> it's like saying when you read the scripture and say, well, I agree with this, I throw this out because it makes me uncomfortable. It's like saying, don't confuse me with the, you've heard the old line, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. 
And a lot of people today believe that if they deny or refuse to accept what God has said, then they somehow are just not accountable for what it says and that they get a pass or they nullify the consequences of not living or behaving according to God's word. That's exactly what characterized the people to whom Jeremiah wrote. You see, they rejected the word. God sent a word to them because they, they were defiant and rebellious and God sent the prophet Jeremiah and he brought a word to them from God and by the way, they didn't like him. Yeah, a third thing people do is they, they try to kill the messenger. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. He continued to bring the word of God to them. They rejected the word of God, and they substituted it with, by their own admission, they said, well, that's your word from God, but we have our own prophets who tell us good things, who prophesy good things to us. You're prophesying bad things, but we've got some prophets that will tell us what we want to hear. We have some prophets that will tell us good things. You know what Paul said? Doesn't that remind you of what Paul said? He said that they will heap to one another teachers that will tickle their ears. Tell us what we want to hear. Tell us what we want to hear so we can feel good about our rebellion. Tell us what we want to hear so we don't have to take serious what God has said. Tell us what we want to hear so we can believe anything we want to believe. And that's what they said to Jeremiah. But it wasn't the word of God. How serious is this? Well, listen to Jeremiah 6, verse 10 and following. Jeremiah says, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? In other words, they're not listening. I'm, I'm speaking. This is what Jeremiah said. I'm speaking. To whom shall I speak? Because nobody will listen. And then he adds, behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn they take no pleasure in it and he says therefore he said I'm full of the wrath of the Lord I'm weary of holding it in <laughs> Jeremiah said I'm about to unload on them whether they'll hear it or not and then in chapter 9 just a little further on Jeremiah uh, uh, records in chapter 9 he says why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one is passing through. And then he answers, he says, and the Lord says, the Lord answered. He's, he, this is a dialogue, by the way, he's having with the Lord. Jeremiah says, why is, the, why is, it, why is it wasteland? Why, why are we in this sad state? That's what he was saying. And the Lord answers him and says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them. And they, listen to this, and they have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, that's his word, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the idols, the bells, just as their fathers taught them. I, I like what one pastor wrote. He said, we're entitled to believe whatever we want to believe because God's given us a free will, but God didn't give us the Bible to try to convince us that he's real or persuade us that he's worthy of our worship. He gave it to us so that we could choose to cooperate with him in our generation. Why? So the next generation can cooperate and the next generation can cooperate. In other words, God gave us his word so that his will can be done in us and by us and through us. And James's point is that only, that only happens when we become more than hearers, when we become doers. And so he says there is this deceptive contrast between those who are just hearers and those who are doers. This is, if this is all you got, that's self-deception. But second, James speaks of something else. He speaks of a delusional consequence. A delusional consequence in verses 23 and 24. Look there again. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. <clears throat> I bet everybody in here has a mirror. I mean, I bet you looked at it this morning. Well, some of you didn't. <laughs> I bet you looked in the mirror this morning, didn't you? You looked in the mirror and thank, thank the Lord for, for mirrors, right? I mean, 
I mean, I, I guess we all have one. We, why do you look in the mirror? You look in the mirror to reveal and to improve, right? And James says, look, the Word of God is like a mirror. That's the analogy he's putting together for us, that the Word of God is like a mirror. So when you're into the Word of God, you are to look at it, and it reveals back to you who you are. It reveals to you where you are. It reveals your condition. And, and we need the mirror of God's Word because the mirror of God's Word shows us who we really are. When we look in when we uh, look into God's Word, it shows us what needs attention in our life. It reveals where we need to make adjustments. And that's uh, the message of Hebrews chapter 4 when it says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is a, it, the, the Word of God shows us what needs attention. Just like when you, you look there and you, got, you get up in the morning and you say, I've got bedhead. Y'all know what bedhead is, don't you? Yeah, Chuck, you don't know what bedhead is, do you? <laughs> was there ever a time when you knew what bedhead was? <laughs> um, you look, look there and you say, oh, man, I need... Or guys will look and say, I need to shave. Or ladies, you'll say, here, I need some touch-up and that sort of thing. All of that. You look there and it reveals where you are. It reveals what you really look like and, and it shows you what needs attention, doesn't it? And so it shows us. The Word of God shows us our condition. It, re it can be good because, by the way, after you deal with things, you go back and say, now that looks pretty good. Right? So it shows us. The second thing that the Word of God does is it shapes us. The Word of God is God's sculpting tool for your life. It's given to mold and to shape you. It is given to, to sculpt you uh, because God's desire is that you would be molded into the image of Jesus Christ. And so the Word of God does that. It instructs us, it corrects us, it informs us, it inspires us. Paul said in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does it do? It shapes us. It doesn't just show, it shapes and that's why we're to read it. That's why we're to meditate upon it. That's why we're to use it so we'll gain a right perspective. But it is dis, del, delusional if a person looks into the mirror and then doesn't deal with things that need to be dealt with. That's his point there. It is delusional. He walks off and forgets. Nobody around him forgets. But he walks off and forgets. That's delusional. And it is just the same. Do you get the point that James is making? If you and I look into the mirror of God's Word and we say, man, there's some adjustment that needs to be made in my life. And you say, but i got to go take care of this. And you go off and you forget what you read. You didn't take it in. You didn't respond to it. And guess what? The Word of God, if you don't respond to it, guess what it'll do? It'll just run right in one side and out the other. That's why we meditate on it. This is not a picture of meditation. Not at all. This is a picture of somebody who heard it, but they didn't take it seriously. And they turned around. And maybe in the moment, they thought, man, I need to do something. I know something in my life I need to deal with. The Word of God has convicted me, and I need to deal with it. But they don't, and they walk away. He says that's like uh, a, a, a delusion. It's designed to shape us. And if all we do is just simply hear it or just simply read it, then it's superficial. And, and we lose the power of the Word of God in our life. Now, isn't it, isn't it tragic today that, that we depend so much on technology to advise and instruct us? And we depend on it far more than we do God. Isn't there something tragic about that? We trust the internet to counsel and coach us on just about everything from depression to dieting. 
And yet when God tells us something to do, we question God's direction. We question his instructions as if he's unreliable and cannot be trusted with our welfare. Well, what does the internet say? Well, how about, how about going back and saying, well, what does God's word say? I, I just said I believe it. So if I believe it, I need to ask, what does it say? The internet may have stuff that confirms it, but the question isn't, well, I, I read this in the scripture. I think that's just old and outdated because the internet now says, are y'all, are you with me? And by the way, I'm not telling you not to use the internet. I'm telling you to understand that your first source of counsel is the word of God. Psychologist Dr. Frank Menrith said this, and I quote, living the word of God Living the Word of God is much more basic to helping people than psychology will ever be. That's a psychologist who was part of the Menrith Meyer clinics for several decades. Living the Word of God is much more basic to helping people than psychology will ever be. If the Word of God is not shaping you, then you are at best a hearer only. And then there's a third thing that I want you to see that James speaks of, and that is he, he speaks of uh, a defining conduct in verse 25. A defining conduct. Now, watch this. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that's the word of God, the law of liberty he calls it, and perseveres, stays with it. Being no hearer, or you might just say, uh, not just being a hearer, who forgets, you know, what we just talked about, the image of, of themselves. But, but who is a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's defining conduct. What does your conduct say about what you believe about God's Word? How does God's Word define you? What does it say about you? Leonard Ravenhill said this, he said, Spiritual maturity comes not by great knowledge, but by compliance with the known will of God. Say that again. Spiritual maturity comes not by great knowledge. Remember I said earlier, the Bible wasn't given to increase your knowledge, but to change your life. Spiritual maturity comes not by great knowledge, but by compliance with the known will of God. And that's what he's telling us here. Being no hearer, but being a doer, he will be blessed in his doing. Why? Because he's looked into the law of liberty. He's looked into this perfect uh, a law of God, the Word of God, and he perseveres in it, and it pays the dividends. Is your conduct in compliance with the Word and the will of God? Your conduct defines you, and James' message here in verse 25 is that the Scripture should act as a defining filter in your life. Do you have filters in your life? Do you have any filters in your life? You know, filters are important for, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, back when the COVID uh, the, broke out in 2020, one of the things we did here, I don't know if you know this, but one of the things we did is we, uh, uh, we put a special kind of filtering system on all of the HVAC units that we have on this campus, and we have 75 and it was very expensive. And we did a test before we did because it was a lot of money. And we did a test to see, does it really filter the air? Because they told us it filtered the air on the same level as hospitals and airlines. And so we put these systems on our units. And, and, but before we did, we tested it to see if it really did filter the air. And so what we did is an air quality uh, test before the filter to see particles and all this kind of stuff uh, in the air and we got the the standard do you know then we took and before we put all these on we put it on one unit and we tested that unit it was in an isolated area where we could test and and we found out it improved the air filtering quality by 90 percent so we said I guess we just ought to put these on every unit here by the way, when we did it, we had other, I had other churches calling saying, what did y'all do? What have y'all done? What have you done? And I began to tell them, we did this. I said, it wasn't cheap, but it's worth it, right? Because we wanted to filter out 
something harmful. You know what the Word of God is? It is a filter on your mind. It's a filter on your life. It is something for, it is a filter of your priorities. Because you take your priorities and you put them through the filter of God's Word. And it can contrast what we are doing versus what we ought to be doing. It filters. It filters our relationships. It helps us know uh, how to relate and how to define relationships. Hello? It's a filter. It filters our motives. It helps us determine the why behind the what in our lives. Why do I live for this? Why do I, I participate in this? Why do I do this? It is a filter of our motives. The Word of God is this, this great filter. And it is designed as we implant it, all right, verse 21, as it is implanted in us to act as a protective filter to keep out the harmful stuff that can hurt, harm, or even destroy you. That's why it's so important. Now, in these verses here, in verse 25 in particular, he he gives us two things about being a doer. The first is this, and it's on your outline. He gives us the approach of the doer. Did you notice that? He said their approach. What is their approach? He says they look into the perfect law of liberty for direction. And by the way, the idea here isn't just a casual glance. It isn't like, oh, okay. It is they look into. So the word can be implanted. They, they meditate upon it. It's not just, okay, I read that. <clears throat> I may have told you this before. When I was a junior boy going to church, y'all remember, some of you remember our old church envelopes, and they had like 10 or 11 things you checked off every Sunday. Y'all remember that? Any of y'all remember those things? You remember you check off present if you're present. You check off uh, um, um, Bible reading. You check off did you pray? Did you witness? You checked off all of these. Did you study your lesson? All of these things. And I can remember, I, I don't know if it, maybe it was already some of that athletic stuff starting to build, but I remember it was like a competition. I want to check off every box. And I, ours even had a bonus box. And you, you could check, if you checked them all off plus the bonus, you could be 110% present. I never figured that one out, but I didn't worry about it. It was a go. I'm 110% present today. And by the way, if you got the bonus box, but you missed one of the others, you could still be 100% present because of the bonus. I don't know who put all that together, but I guess they were brilliant because it worked for, for eons. But I remember, before I understood the value of the Scripture, I just wanted to check the boxes. And so I would remember I need to read the Bible every day, junior boy. And so I'd realize I can remember that I would come to the end of the day and it's time to go to bed and I hadn't read my Bible. And I would do this. I would say, oh, I've got to read my Bible so I can check the box. And I'd just open it. I'd just open it anywhere. And I just read a verse, say, okay, read my Bible. I can check the box. Now you say, well, that's a, that's a, a bit extreme. And, and, and by the way, you know I really wasn't reading the Bible doing that. I didn't understand that as a junior boy. It was before I was saved. And I didn't understand what reading the Scripture was all about. I just thought, well, it's words on the page. I read the words on the page. That's all they're asking me to do. I want to tell you something. There's still a lot of Christians that are essentially doing that. They're just kind of checking the box. Well, I read the Scripture. But they're not really reading the Scripture. They're not getting into the Scripture. They're not taking time and spending time. There are some people who assume that reading lots of, of Scripture is the same thing as going deep in their reading of Scripture. You know, sometimes it's better just to read a couple of verses and think on these things than it is to read three chapters. You, know, you get it? The approach of the doer. He says they look into, focused on what does the Scripture say 
I'm looking because I want answers. I'm looking because there are things I've seen in the mirror that need to be changed. I'm looking intently at the Word of God. The second thing that we learn there is not just the approach of the doer, but he talks about the award for the doer. They receive God's blessing and God's favor. That's the award. He said there's blessing that comes with it. God's Word looked into intensely will bear fruit in your life. It will bring with it God's blessing because what will happen is you'll align your life with the will of God. You'll align your life with the purpose of God. And guess what will happen? The, the purpose for which you've been created will begin to manifest and the fruit and the joy that comes with that. But let me, let me as I wrap up, let me answer a question for you. So, so do you get why you need to hear and do God's word? Let me give you just two or three practical reasons. Number one, you need God's Word. You need to practice God's Word because you need a biblical worldview. That means, let me just say, everybody has a worldview of some kind. Whether you know that or not, that's a term that used to not be used much but has become more popular in the last decade, but a worldview is how you see your world. And what, are, what, what determines that worldview? There are a lot of factors that determine. We used to essentially say there's a secular worldview and there's a, there's a spiritual worldview. But now people say we got all kind of different worldviews. And that's because we've segmented uh, our culture into so many different segments. But you need a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview says, I, you remember the filter idea? This book is the filter through which I see the world. So when there are conundrums in the world, I, I, I say, what, is, what does God's Word have to say about that? A biblical worldview helps you understand the way God sees His creation. Most of our cultural views of right and wrong, good and bad, are formed by everything today but God's Word. That used to not be the case. In fact, up until really about... Uh, 60 to 70 years ago, the Word of God was agreed upon by lost and saved by uh, just about everybody in society as the basis for which all law, all right, all wrong was determined. A biblical worldview helps you respond to all the craziness that's going on around you. It'll give you perspective. A second a second reason you need to hear the Word of God and do the Word of God is because you need a biblical roadmap. God didn't put you on this planet to try to figure it out on your own. He's got a roadmap. I said earlier, an owner's manual. That's what the scripture is. And it helps you navigate life. It helps you make right decision. It'll keep you out of a lot of potholes. You see, because it is a roadmap. And you need time in God's word and both in study and practice because you need direction that only he can give you. And then third, I would tell you, because you need a biblical blessing. The Bible is full of wonderful promises to those who practice God's Word. Listen to what Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1 says. This is God's message to His people. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, that's His Word. So what does God say? If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful, here's the doing side of it, to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Do you see that? That's a, that's a promise, a promise of, of a blessing based upon not only hearing what God says, but then doing what God says. And Paul writes in Romans and says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but it is the doers of the law who will be justified. You know, it's a shame when people come to church and they leave church not knowing anything to start doing, only what to stop doing. I mean, one of the, one of the biggest challenges for anybody that stands behind the pulpit, I think, is to help your people make application. How do you apply what's been, what's been taught or what's been shared or what God has, the message God has for us? So I want to give you, as I wrap up, I want to give you something to do. 
that will help you become a doer of the Word. I want to give you something to do. And the best way that you can understand the Bible, let me just say this, is by reading it. Just start reading it. That's the best way you can understand it. People say, well, I don't understand it. By the way, there are wonder, a lot of wonderful translations that are good, solid translations. Not all. You've got to be careful. But there are several very good uh, 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 translations that will help you understand uh, the scripture better, but you'll never understand it if you don't read it. If you take the approach, well, I just don't understand it, so I'm just not going to read it. I'd like to, but it just doesn't make sense. You'll never understand it unless you start reading it. So start reading it daily and consistently. Did you notice he said perseveres, the one who perseveres? Start reading it daily and start reading it consistently. Now, we have done some things to help you with that. On, if you go to our website, you'll see a banner at the top of our website for, for reading your Bible daily. And it'll have plans. Some people need a plan. And uh, you can go, you can click there and you can follow that or you can go to the bottom of our page and it'll talk about resources and click on resources and you can go to resources there and it'll give you several different Bible reading plans that'll help you to know where do I start and how do I get going. Now some of those, well, I think most of those are based on trying to, to read your Bible in, in a year. Listen, you say, yeah, and it's, look, it's September. I might as well wait till January. <laughs> now, don't. <clears throat> do you know, break the rules. Say, I found where September starts, and I started reading in September. And what I'll do is I'll just read all the way back to September. I'll read through August, and I'll, you know. Uh, so start wherever you are. You can always re break the root. This is where you can be a biblical rebel. All right? So start reading the scriptures. And you say, well, I, I do that sometimes, but I, I just don't get a lot. Of, just keep reading. I want to tell you, the scriptures are a medicine for your soul. And then number two, prayerfully ask God to show you how to act upon what you read. Um, and, and make it personal. God, what are you saying to me? I have a notebook. And uh, I just record thoughts, all kinds of stuff in there. Lord, what are you showing me? And by the way, you're not writing if you keep a notebook, and I highly recommend that, so you can kind of put, you know, um, the cheapest pencil and paper is still better for preserving your memories than the gray matter up here. And so you just, you just make some notes and you keep it. You, you may never look at it again. And by the way, don't worry, you're not writing it for, so that one day they will find your journal and say, look at this, look what he said. In fact, you may want to make sure that you have somebody dispose of it. But prayerfully ask God to show you how to act upon what you read. God, what is it? Maybe one thing, God, what, what one thing can I do today based on your word? And then last, be looking for ways to do it. <laughs> See, you can read it. You can digest it. You can, um, you can ask God to, to show you what he's saying to you. But the rubber meets the road when you say, now, God, God show me ways I can do this. How can I m make it applicable? Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, we, we say, um, when asked to back down from his own actions based on Scripture, said, my conscience has been taken captive by the Word of God, and to go against conscience or Scripture is neither right nor safe. You see, the crucial component in James's message is not hearing but obeying what you hear. And without obedience, the Word of God is powerless in your life. If you want um, to experience the power of the Word of God, you must be a practitioner of the Word of God. Do you get that? If you want the power of the Word of God, you have to be a practitioner of the Word of God. So let me ask you this question. Do you want more power this morning? Where is it that you need to obey God? Why don't you start there? Start there and say, God, here's where I need to to obey you. I need to trust you with this. Uh, I, I, maybe you're here or watching online and you say, I need to trust God with my soul. I need to give my life to him. I need to trust him with it. This is where I need to start. Maybe you need to obey some 
some command that you know he's given you from his word. Maybe you need to be obedient and in baptism or maybe ministry. God may have a call of ministry in your life. Or maybe it is that you need to start serving him in some capacity. Or maybe you need to start obeying him in giving. All of the, whatever it is, ask God, God, where do I need to obey you that's in line with scripture? Start there. Don't wait. Start. Don't wait. Start. Would you stand with me this morning? When I finished this message on Thursday, late Thursday, I guess it was about 6.30 or 7 o'clock. When I finished this message, I offered a prayer to the Lord. And I, I want to offer this prayer to you this morning. I, I want you... I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Would you do that? Would you repeat this? Lord, I want more power. Lord, reveal your word to me. Lord, show me where I need to be a doer and not just a hearer. Lord, keep me from looking into your word and forgetting what I see. Lord, make my heart receptive to the Scripture. And with your Holy Spirit, use your word to shape me into the image of Jesus. Lord, give me renewed spiritual hunger and fresh spiritual eyes. To see the world the way you do. Lord, protect me from self-deception. And pour out on me a fresh blessing. As I obey and do your word. Lord, use me for the purpose you created me. And be glorified in me. And all the people said, amen. amen, amen. Well, I want to offer to you something else, not just a prayer, but an invitation. This morning, maybe you're here in this place or you're watching on television or live stream and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. In just a moment, when Aaron begins to lead us, I want to invite you to slip out from the balcony of this ground floor. Our staff will be here to receive you. Come and say, I need to do that. I need to give my soul to Jesus. You may be here this morning and say, I've done that. I need a church home, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to become a part of the Ridgecrest family. People have done it this week. And maybe you need to do that as well. If you're watching by live stream or television, you'll see uh, information on how you can make those very same decisions right there. Maybe you want to just come and pray around this altar before we're gone, kneel before him. Maybe this morning... There's some area of obedience you need. Maybe it's like baptism or something. You need to come and say, hey, I need to take care of that. Whatever the case may be, don't miss this moment before we're gone to obey and be a doer of the word. As Aaron leads us, you slip out right now. You come on.